0: at baptist health south florida it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit welcome to the baptist health talk podcast where our respected experts bring you timely practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life
1: hello baptist health talk podcast listeners i'm your host dr jonathan fialco I'm a practicing preventive cardiologist and lipidologist, deputy director of the Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, and chief population health officer at Baptist Health South Florida. After many years of decreasing deaths from cardiovascular disease and other medical conditions, including cancers, we've now started to see a troubling trend of increasing numbers. Part of this is attributed to us being a less healthy population. We are certainly older, more sedentary, and by every measure heavier as a population than we've ever been in the past. Being overweight and, frankly, obese has become almost normal in our society. While we tend to pass judgment on those overweight, unfairly, as often it's not a matter of being more active or pushing away the dessert plate, i.e. willpower, but rather hormonal abnormality that leads to energy storage as fat, there is no controversy that attaining and maintaining a normal weight has health benefits. There's a lot to unpack here, but in the interest of delivering some helpful ideas, as well as hopefully provoking our listeners to seek more information about diet, weight management, and our evolution of understanding of this arguable epidemic, is Dr. Manuel Torres. Dr. Torres is a physician leader at Baptist Health Primary Care, the Kendall Breeze office, who's a diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine and who has a part of his practice dedicated to weight management. A lot of directions we can take this, Manny, and I'll work to keep us focused, but thanks for being our guest.
2: Thank you, John. It's a pleasure to be here today.
1: So let's let's talk about some definitions, if we could, because we always throw this term around obesity, uh, overweight. First, one of the things that always bothers me and we say, I want to lose weight, if we tell someone to lose weight. Because arguably, you can cut someone's arm off and they'll, they'll lose weight. Or I can give you a, a diuretic and you'll Correct. urinate out three pounds of water and you'll lose weight. When we say we want people to lose weight or maintain a healthy weight... What do we really mean by that?
2: Well, what we want to do is we want to try to help patients begin to focus on trying to improve their body fat index or body mass indexes as we often refer to it. And that number, as you know, as a cardiologist correlates to cardiovascular risk. And we really want to make sure that that BMI continues to go down or begins to trend down, especially as patients get older. Obviously, that tends to, to trend up. So it's it's not just about you know the gross number on the scale. It's how that's, that gross number correlates to your body frame and what the that means in terms of cardiovascular risk, as you know.
1: Um, uh, agreed. So for people who may be overweight, which is very common, we'd want them to work to get to a healthy weight. For Correct. people who have a healthy weight, we want to help them maintain a healthy weight. You did mention Correct. there's a tendency as we get older to gain weight. So Correct. we can talk about that a little bit also. And highly.
2: often, and often the, the you know, sort of to, to answer your question in a different way, you know, what is a healthy weight? That's a question that I'm sure you get a lot. How much should I weigh? And I always say it depends upon your body frame. And that's a number that we can calculate. And everybody uh, gives me a little bit of a rough time in regards to BMI, because you know they may feel that they weigh what they're supposed to weigh, but the BMI really helps them focus on where am I according to what my frame allows me to be. And that's why you say like, if you, yeah, if you cut somebody's leg off, the gross number may go down and their weight may go down, <clears throat> but it's what are you in relationship to your frame? Are you weighing less based upon what your frame allows you to weigh? And that's what that BMI number means. So as you know, uh, greater than 30 is considered obese, greater than 35 is a uh, stage two obesity, and then greater than uh, 40 is a considered considered morbidly obese or category three or stage three obesity. So there's a couple of different uh, classifications in the nomenclature, but generally most people uh, understand that once you pass that BMI of 30, that already puts you in a category of obesity and the situation really needs to be addressed by by your physician.
1: So if we're using the BMI, the body mass index as an indicator of where your weight should be and where you stand, how does someone get their BMI measured?
2: Well, it's pretty easy actually. And, and nowadays with all of our electronics, uh, you can uh, measure it uh, by uh, putting your, n- plugging your numbers into your phone, right? As far as what do you weigh and how tall you are. And it's a pretty uh, uh, easy calculation to make. So most of our, our common apps uh, that you know we use even for calorie counting or even just general health apps that come already pre-installed on your phone can give you your BMI. And, and you know, and obviously of course you can always Google your number. <laughs>
1: so, so, so um, that's true, right? Um, um, so I mentioned in my introductory comments that you know people don't gain weight because they want to. People don't um, um, eat more or foods that they shouldn't because arguably they want to. their are drivers, cravings, and things. Correct. Why, you know, from your experience, you're saying why do people gain weight? Not how do they gain weight? Arguably, sure, how is sure. you eat too much? Well, there's- why?
2: There's many different reasons. and and part of the 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 specialty of uh, obesity medicine really is to is to answer that question particularly because you know newsflash, not everybody is the same, right? And everybody gains weight for actually for different reasons. So if we sort of subdivide them into um, multidisciplinary multi uh, uh faceted reasons as to why somebody gains weight and then we have genetic causes as to why people gain weight or monogenetic causes and typically monogenetic causes are are, are you know very significant uh obesity related diseases that are diagnosed in pediatrics and adolescents where there may be uh, receptor deficiencies and things like that that really lead to aggressive weight gains or hypothalamic issues and those are again common in 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 uh, pediatric obesity uh when we talk about a adults, <clears throat> excuse me, routine adults, it's typically falls under the umbrella of there it, it's a it's a uh, multifaceted cause there's multiple things that are contributing to that slow and steady waking uh whether it's macro environment issues like uh you know just sort of our um population how we tend to uh favor favor the, the lazy choice in regards to parking spaces and elevators and things like that uh which are macro environmental uh, influences and uh, or, or are there micro-environmental influences? In, in, and when I mean microenvironment, I mean microenvironment of that patient. Are they surrounded by a family of heavy eaters? Are they surrounded by a family of people uh, or, uh, that, that are encouraging uh, poor nutritional decision-making and those kinds of things? So really assessing the macro-environment and the microenvironment of that in particular patient will often lead to uh, decisions on treatment.
0: I find it fascinating. You mentioned the genetics, and again, the micro, the macro environments. How evolution plays a, a, an element. How, if we think about this, you know, man evolved in very uneven food supply. Most of man's existence was just finding the next meal. So Correct. we're really not evolutionarily geared towards being very active, right? You know, I mean, if I can push a button and do something, evolutionarily, that's better than me having to use energy because I may not find food to get that. Um, so, and we're also, you know, evolutionary here towards storing food, right? If we have extra food, right. we want to hold on to it. because. Correct. Um, so are those factors. So, so going back to those premises that there are genetic factors, macro environment, it's not because you're not exercising. How often does someone who gains weight come to me and say, well, I just have to exercise? No, 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 it's not. You'll burn calories, but you're still going to store energy of eating the wrong foods. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I do want to get into exactly some of that. What are the kind of dietary right. recommendations that might be better right. than others? And again, there's no one answer for everyone. But before I get to that, going back to the original premise, what are the dangers of obesity? We're not talking about you know fitting into a speedo, uh, um, you know, on the beach. <laughs> We're not really trying the medical, to speedo. <laughs> right, what are the medical components of trying to help people recognize um, um, the reasons why we want to help them get to a healthier, no. healthy weight?
2: so so sure I, I, you know, definitely there's well documented over 250 different diseases that are associated with obesity and they really um fall along the entire spectrum of medicine so you know as a primary care physician obviously you know we see Patients with orthopedic problems, we see patients with cardiovascular problems, we see patients with uh, uh, GI digestive issues, uh, even neurologic issues, and of course the you know cancerous issues as well. And you know obesity plays a role in pretty much every one of those uh, subspecialties of medicine, if you will. Uh, it, it would it makes most uh, of the common diseases that we see uh, higher likelihood, uh, and then it's, of course especially you know the the very significant comorbidities that are associated with mortality. Diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, et cetera. So those are uh, you know, just a sort of a small taste of how obesity can affect it. And and you know, one of the common things uh that is very important is to trying to help patients understand that. There should be a shift in the way that physicians approach obesity. A lot of times we diagnose the chronic condition first and then, oh yeah, well, you you know, losing weight will help. And being proactive and trying to um, address obesity issues before these chronic conditions occur, whether they are, again, cardiovascular or GI or neurologic or oncologic or whatever it may be, uh, is really probably the smarter approach and probably the way that hopefully your primary care physician is addressing the issue.
0: It's actually um, um, well said. First year original comment. There's really no part of the body that's not affected, whether it's stress on the joints or sleep Correct. apnea or your cardiovascular condition or cancer risk and, and whatnot. Um, so it, it is leading towards this increased um, uh, less healthy population, and of course costs in healthcare as well. Um, but you mentioned also about how how we would address a patient, and rather than addressing the weight that they may be gaining or have gained, uh, we look at the medical conditions first, which is not appropriate. So so everyone who's been considered themselves or others overweight has tried to diet. And why don't diets work? Which is not to say an individual may find a particular way of eating that helps them maintain a healthy weight Uh and arguably avoiding hunger why don't diets work? What's the biggest pushback of why diets
2: So the biggest perspective is because I think that the majority of patients really try to focus on generalities and generalities, you know, of course do apply in, in the majority of cases, but trying to really fine tune what works for the patient is very important. Now, Patients tend to do this on their own. Patients tend to do this with guidance that may be misleading. Uh, Patients may tend to do this by what their neighbor is doing or what their spouse is doing or et cetera. And again, not everybody is built the same. And as we've already talked about, there is a very significant Uh, specific, sorry, uh, ways to approach obesity where your individual treatment plan for your obesity needs to be evaluated by a physician who has the experience and the knowledge to try to guide you. So I think part of the reason why diets work to try to answer your question is because we try to to really um, uh, approach uh, weight loss with a sort of one size fits all, the current fad of of trying to avoid carbohydrates and trying to avoid uh, carbohydrates altogether, you know, uh, sure can have some changes on the scale, but may be difficult in regards to sustainability and longevity. And how how does that? Translate into my daily living. Could I really live the rest of my life never, ever, ever having carbohydrates ever, ever again? I, you know, that's that's an unrealistic approach for most people. Uh, and and the big part about also the big part about dietary challenges is the fact that change change is sometimes very difficult, and that begins to open the door into personalities and and why people's personality and approach and motivation really matters because one of the biggest things that we have to do obviously is change and change is sometimes hard to make permanent. So, if, if, if someone decides to go low-calorie and low-carbohydrate, it's not low go low-calorie and low-carbohydrate Monday through Wednesday, and then Thursday, Friday, oh, well, it's the weekend, and then I'll start again on Monday. It's trying to be consistent. I, I often talk about the three Cs, calories, carbohydrates, and the most important one being consistency. The consistency is really what matters. So um, I hope that answers your
0: question. No, no, it does. I think the take-home <laughs> point is no one solution for everyone. People want the magic bullet of, I want to be able to, I'll say, lose weight, which is a term I hate using. I want to get leaner, um, but without any sacrifice or without being hungry. Well, you can do it without being hungry. hungry, When you go on starvation diets, which is basically anything that will ultimately lower your calories to some degree, hunger kicks in, and that's why diets fail. But I do think that customized approach, what works for me, what's sustainable, it's not something I need to avoid completely for the rest of my life. Um, But to get your body more um, balanced, get your body healthier. Right. Um, I think those are the goals. I would not even tell people, for example, um, because we've had people who, you know, three blood pressure pills, elevated cholesterol, they get off the medications. Oh, you know, um, um, uh, my cholesterol is better. I'm like, no, now it's normal. Or my blood right. pressure is better. No, no. It, now you're normal. You were you're abnormal right. before when you were hypertensive. So, right. so getting back to now um, um, specifically, a, a, a quick question, and then I want to get into your particular uh, methodology based on your, your training and experience. Um, is it possible for someone to be overweight?
2: and hungry. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, right. here's, here's <laughs> part of the challenge. Part of the challenge is the fact that I think we tend to focus on the wrong organ or we don't necessarily, and, and this is common, you know, patients don't necessarily understand that you're focused on the wrong organ. We're trying to lose body fat, which is, you know, what we see in the mirror, but the true organ that is in control of this whole scenario is your brain. Uh, we spoke a little bit earlier about evolution and sort of how the brain has evolved and the, the brain will seek to to achieve stability and also will seek to achieve storage. <laughs> Excuse me. Most people are genetically predisposed to to save uh, uh, energy for that potential crisis, and that's sort of how the foundation of of the the, the brain physiology works when it comes to calorie uh, control and and adipose storage. Because the brain doesn't understand that maybe the next meal may not exactly come. So so yes, uh, once somebody uh, you know, we talk a lot about what's called a fat mass set point in the field of obesity medicine. You know, the, genetically it is believed that it, there's a predisposition to uh, for the brain to be comfortable at a particular set point in regards to BMI, and and how flexible that set point is 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 sort of nuances of obesity medicine are pretty interesting. But if your fat mass set point is set at a high number when it comes to BMI, you're still going to cycle through the phases of hunger, craving, desire, and satisfaction. And that also, by the way, comes from a hormonal standpoint, which is what your original point was, that you know this has everything to do with brain control. The brain needs to be satisfied with the, the, the consumption of food that's coming in and the brain needs to be satisfied with how much energy is there available uh, just in case. And and that back and forth uh, between hormonal play is how uh, our sort of our hunger cycle works. And it particularly works at a place called the accurate nucleus um, uh, as part of the hypothalamus in the, in the brain. And, and that's important to understand. I, I don't typically get into all, all of those particular details Uh, with the patient, but I try to help the patient understand that what we're trying to help do is to help your brain understand that there needs to be uh, usage of your uh, reserve tank of energy, and and that begins to sort of open the door to the understanding of why a calorie and carbohydrate restriction will begin to do that. So, I, I again, I, I hope that answered your question. I know no, that was a long think, answer.
1: I think, listen, I'll, I'll, I'll speak.
0: Um, I'll put that in English.
2: <laughs> Sorry.
0: My, no, no, it's, it's the background for it. But I think what's important is number one: if you're overweight or struggling to keep to lose weight. It's not a personality defect. You're not failing in anything. Your body wants to hold on to this energy. There are drivers that are that are creating that that status of, of, right. of, of, of again of craving and holding on to energy. Right. Although there are tools and ways to, to correct that. And ultimately, lean people shouldn't judge overweight people. It's not a personality defect. It's not a flaw. They're not weak minded. They're hormonally. I mean, how many times have you? Just, I add 300 pound twins. Now I'm mm-hmm. into mean, the pound. Tell me mm-hmm. how it's not genetic and certainly hormonal for mm-hmm, twins mm-hmm. to have like almost the same exact weight. This is all
2: genetically. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but this is all genetically predetermined. And and I try to help patients understand, look, you know, sir, ma'am, you know, you're a good weight gainer. You, you know, genetically, you've been sort of manufactured to be a good weight gainer. And then on top of that, if we go back to the discussion in regards to macro environment, you're living in a macro environment where there's plenty of food availability. So if you match genetics for a good weight gainer with massive amount of surplus of food availability, and then you also match that with you know a, a other macro environmental situations where you're not really spending a lot of energy to do routine things though so, well then that's going to lead to weight to so slow and steady waking and actually we only need to be over by about 11 calories per day to gain about a pound and a half per year as we progress from 25 to 65 and that's that's pretty amazing like you if you think about where you started at 25 if you're already sitting at a bmi of 32 by the time you hit 65 yeah you're going to have a problem on your hands
0: um, so a couple of final points, because obviously we can take any of these points and really expand on them. It's fascinating, and again, we're not going to get into different diets and the pros and cons. And and although I think arguably eating food in the most natural form and avoiding sugar would be a good <laughs> a good starting point as much as you can. Um, what's your approach? What do you do uniquely? What tools do you use um, in your practice as a, a, an expert in uh, in obesity medicine?
2: Well, the good news here is that at Baptist Health, we're really expanding in regards to what is available to the patient. And it's very important that I begin to explain to the patient that we have to implement multiple tools to really help develop a weight loss strategy. So looking at, again, common calorie intakes, uh, Caloric preferences and macronutrient distribution. How much carbohydrate are you eating? How much protein? How much fat? You know, doing a little bit of calorie evaluation uh, and having the patient start off with a self-assessment is 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 a very useful tool. And then building on top of that, sort of the next line of that is to evaluate the patient metabolically. Uh, does this patient have a genetic disorder? Is this patient genetically predetermined to gain weight? What are the what are the the factors there? And then implementing a pharmaceutical strategy and some. Sometimes pharmaceuticals can come in very handy, especially if the patient already has additional comorbidities. So for example, uh, a lot of diabetic medications, as you're aware of, are, are now really favoring weight loss as opposed to before we were uh, using diabetic medications that were really favoring weight gain. So maybe even medication adjustment, uh, psychotropic medications, if the patient has a behavioral health issue and is on uh, psychotropic medications that are really prone to weight gain, you know, can we talk to the psychiatrist? Can we try to adjust those medications? So on and so forth to promote uh, weight loss and then advancing that and sort of seeing how the patient goes and really trying to assure that there's adequate follow up and 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 good accountability for the patient and and talking about uh, additional more significant strategies that definitely have a greater effect on weight loss like for example bariatric surgery and i work very closely with our bariatric uh, surgeons and we definitely implement um, a surgical approach when it's indicated and you know some patients unfortunately come in and and they're sort of at the situation where I, I help them understand that bariatric surgery may be part of the strategy. It may not be the strategy that we implement today, but it's definitely a tool in our tools in our toolbox that we can definitely use when the time is right, when they're ready, and when they're ready to understand the fact that even after surgery with such significant weight loss, there's still going to be a need for diet, exercise, maybe even pharmaceutical therapy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
0: I really appreciate that. It's a customized approach. You look for secondary factors, which might be missed, hormonal thyroids, things like that. Uh, you get into, uh, obviously, the patient's psychosocial components um, to help them uh, as well assess um, what might be driving um, the difficulty in getting down to a leaner, uh, a leaner weight. Um, but then you use whatever other tools are available. There might be medical therapies, which are beneficial, as you said, even bariatric surgery, which does have good outcomes in the right patient. But you're not starting with, OK, get you know, surgery next, surgery next. <laughs> correct.
2: Correct. Well and and again we don't we it's very important that patients understand that you know there's not a silver bullet. Yes, surgery is the most effective tool and thank God we've been able to implement surgery safely, uh, and decrease, you know, uh, a lot of the complications that come with the surgery. We have excellent surgeons on staff that are very well trained and very well qualified, which is fantastic. So we can really control the environment, uh, and, and, and have them have excellent outcomes, but that's just a tool. That's just a tool in the shed. And again, after the surgery, there's going to be significant follow-up. There's going to be significant treatment. There's going to be significant, uh, nutritional changes. You know, their, their life does change, uh, just as your life, does need to change when you're simply starting a diet. Uh, you know, going from eating whatever you want to eating absolutely no carbohydrates is a change. So again, uh, understanding the behavioral uh, component to this and understanding the fact that acceptance of change and really transitioning a patient through change is really actually one of the more gratifying parts of treating patients for obesity.
1: Um, this is great information. I think, uh, you know, a um, couple of take-home points. It's it's kind of like uh, Uh, getting older and our society kind of promotes circumstances that would enable people to gain weight and how we recognize that and and then change to get healthier. And as we said, not for the speedo,
2: but for the medical benefits and the health benefits, speedos for um, you, buddy, not for me.
1: <laughs> one day,
2: one day, I'm there.
1: Um, Great stuff, Manny. Again, uh, maybe we'll have. Uh, hopefully, we'll have you back for maybe some I'd more vocal that. conversations. Um, Excellent. And to our listeners, again, as usual, if, if you have any thoughts regarding this or other podcasts or any uh, requests for topics for the future, please email us at BaptistHealthTalk at BaptistHealth dot that's Baptist Health Talk at BaptistHealth.net. Please uh, go to your podcast app and give us a five-star rating. And otherwise, stay safe and mask up.
0: Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.